0: Hey, thank you for tuning in to the Fountain Podcast. We pray that this message blesses you and helps you to see Jesus clearly, love him deeply, and follow him wholeheartedly. Let's dive in. I thought I was going to go kind of landing the series in in a different direction, but we're just going to kind of stay in this one particular space. And I've entitled the message today, Imagine More Faith in Your Waiting. But it's not what you think. So look at your neighbor and say, you ready to wait? Look at your second choice and say, it's not what you think. Lord, would you do this in us today in Jesus' name? Do what only you can do. God, speak to us, change us, transform us. God, give us your heart today. Help us to catch everything that you want us to catch. Holy Spirit, make us more and more like Jesus today. We're not here to play church. We're not here to go through the motions. We're not here just to, to, to preach a message. Lord, we're here to encounter you. So speak through me in a way that only you can. Transform us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Speak to our hearts today. Change our hearts today, God. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. 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 And amen. Can we give it up for our worship team? Hey. love love our team love all of our teams baptism this is i love baptism sunday this is what it's all about let me let me take you uh to the largest lego spaceship ever built it's the largest it's the largest lego construction i don't even know what word i'm looking for it's the largest lego thing that's ever been built I mean, it's, it's pretty crazy. It's, it's called the X-Wing. It's from Star Wars. It, it took 5,335,200 Lego bricks, That's crazy. 32 master builders, and 17,336 hours, which is like almost two years, a little over two years, somewhere in that space. That's a lot for Legos. <laughs> like, that is a big Lego Construct, spaceship, whatever it is. But if you're, if you're old like me, young at heart, let's say young at heart, it's, it's much more easy, or easy to palette that. I can't talk this morning, but I am going to preach. Um, so, so you guys remember Britannica, Encyclopedia Britannica? Remember people were like, somebody said no. It was a big set of encyclopedias that were actually hardbound. I never owned one because we're not going to pay a gazillion dollars for a bunch of books, right? But, I mean, I remember walking into some of my friends' houses and they just had a library full of Britannica. Like, you walk into those spaces and you just feel a little smarter. It's an encyclopedia. Nobody ever opens them. They collect tons of dust. Right, right. And then from Britannica, you know, no longer were there salesmen at your door trying to sell you encyclopedias. We moved to Encarta, which was like a Microsoft you know, techno- technological encyclopedia. Now, Microsoft, what they did is they had a, a small team that they put together of writers, of publishers, and, and they, I'm sure, kind of bit off Britannica a little bit and, and try to make something a little bit more digital and accessible. Well, that didn't last very long because after that, quickly after that, Wikipedia came along and just blew everything out of the water. Now, Wikipedia, I was always skeptical, Because how Wikipedia works is it's not just a small team of people that are putting together the facts and the data. It actually puts the power in my hand and your hand to define things, which is a little bit scary. Also pretty cool because there's some smart people in the world. But this really scared me is that the the statistic was staggering. It was like 70% of doctors before they go to surgery consult Wikipedia. I was like, no way. So many of you guys know, if you see like a little bump on my cheek, I still have to have surgery on this thing. I have a calcified stone in my saliva duct. I know it's gross. But whenever you see like a little bump here, it's because my saliva is like backed up. It's like a plumbing problem in your mouth. And I need to have surgery still. But can I just tell you, based on this sermon, I'm going to ask, hey, do you consult Wikipedia before you go in? Because if you do, I would like to get a second opinion. <laughs> Scary, crazy. But what Legos know and what Wikipedia knows is that everybody is greater than somebody. Yeah. And the Bible speaks to this. Like Legos are cool. Wikipedia is cool. But God is building his church. Right. Yeah. God is constructing his church and we get to be a part of that. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 says the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. See, the beauty of the church is that you and I make up the body. We make up the body of Christ. We all have a part to play. And when we're all playing our part, powerful things happen. When we're working together, we're serving together God has never called us to be a bunch of individual superheroes. That has never been God's plan for the body of Christ. We are one body with important parts to play. Not one part is less than another. And can I just tell you, when we're living in such a way where we are fulfilling our part of the body, can I just tell you, as we collectively come together, it impacts homes, cities, the world with the gospel of Jesus. Powerful things happen. We are far more than just an individual superhero. God has never called us to be that. Yes. He's called us to be the body. And when the body operates as the body, powerful things happen. Yeah. The gospel goes into the earth, yeah. changes everything. Yeah. But that's, that's a threat today. Like there, there is a threat that sometimes we don't think about a lot, but I think it's important. I wanna take you to Delhi. And in India, there is a lady by the name of Ashish and she came to visit a friend in Chicago. They were having pizza, because that's what you do when you're in Chicago, you eat pizza. And this, this woman's friend was a youth pastor, and they walked in. They just got back from a missions trip. And so Ashish was like, hey, what is, like, what was your experience? How was it? And she said, student after student cannot stop talking about the poverty. And she, she asked her friend, she said, why does everybody that goes to like a different country from America just always focus so much on the poverty? She said, why do they think we're so poor? She said, you are poor compared to those kids. And it's kind of hard to get their minds off of consumeristic passions. And so I'm really excited that they experienced some dissonance when it comes to, to poverty. This is what she said. She said, I'm sick of sympathy, sympathy from Westerners who think we need more stuff. She says, what does that have to do with our happiness? Please don't help import the idol of consumerism to India. So she then talked about an American group that just were with them in Delhi. And she said, they were so concerned about my bicycle that I used to get back and forth to church. They told me that they all chipped in and they bought me a car. But this was the last thing that I wanted. And I kind of think I reigned on their parade, she says. She said, especially when I told them that members in my church could use that same amount of money to start a micro enterprise for a lasting income. When I said this, they thought I was just being super sacrificial. She's like, don't bring that idol of consumerism into this country. Don't export that idol. And I think that idol has the potential to reach... And sneak in and creep into our churches. Stats show today that when people are church shopping, that's what, that's kind of like what we call it today. Just like looking for a church. And I get it. It's hard to find a good church. It's hard to, you know, get planted in community. Um, but, but they're asking these type of questions. They're saying, I want to know what I can get from the church. So really, it's, it's more consumeristic and the church is more of a commodity. And worship services are kind of a place, not so much that we can serve God and serve one another, but where we expect to pay for something great. Inspiring worship, a great inspiring sermon, quality childcare, all of which is great and important. So I'm not nullifying excellence. I'm speaking about the heart. Yeah. Good. And and what's interesting is is it's easy for me as a pastor to be like, everybody's consumers. But it but, but we're we're affected by that too as pastors, yeah. as leaders. Yeah. And in, in fact, I, I think some of us could be affected at a great level. So, so what, what am I saying? I'm saying that, number one, we don't simply consume to live today. We live to consume. Yeah, so we live to consume. And all of us are guilty of it. Yeah. There, there's a void on the inside of us that we try to fill. And we just think of newer and better and more. That's going to solve the problem. But study after study reveals and shows that the more we consume, the more miserable we are. The more depressed we are, the more anxiety we have, the less satisfied, the less satisfied we are, and the, and the less we feel fulfilled. Wow. And so I, I think it's so easy, again, for churches to fall into the trap of consumerism. And it's not just the person who's coming, it's the church. Yeah. Let me give you an example. So I kind of like blasted the people. Now let me put it back on us. You ready? When we start to base everything on worldly metrics, we can appear healthy but be dying. It's true. There, there's un, an unintentional slide to move from a shepherd to a CEO where we start managing people instead of lovingly serving, caring for them, pointing them to Jesus. Our boards become about return on investment, making sure the constituents are, are satisfied, staff become dispensable, only used to you know, hit you know, targets, growth. And don't get me wrong, I'm all about growth. You guys know I'm all about reaching people. I'm not speaking today about the actual aesthetics. I'm speaking about the, the heart. Yeah. Nothing wrong with excellence. There's nothing wrong with growth. Is there a business aspect to church? Absolutely. But, but not in a weird way. Yeah. Good. Right? And so, so, like, membership can become a model for tracking how well we've sold the product. Evangelism, services, outreach has become strategies to strengthen the brand and attract our target audience. Why can't we talk about it? Yeah. And so rather than being a radically diverse family who follows Jesus together, loving and serving one another, we become transactional, a transactional corporation. Yeah. Largely filled with consumers on both ends, recipients and receivers, or end givers. Yeah. But, but Peter says something that's really interesting. He says, be shepherds of God's flock, That is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, it's not a job, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. And so in other words, Jesus did not summon us as followers of Jesus to consume. He taught us to love God, to love our neighbor, to meet each other's needs, to enact justice and mercy, and to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom in the earth. So what am I saying today? You guys are awfully quiet. What am I saying today? I'm saying that we need to detox from consuming and we need to remember it's about serving. Now, let me tell you what this is not. This is not a message to manipulate you to jump on our serve team. If God is speaking to you to jump on our serve team, we want you to do it willingly, not out of obligation. Not because you're trying to earn points with God, none of that. So So let me, I'm I'm, I'm really speaking to the heart of us as the body of Christ that we would live with this heart, not just in this house, but everywhere that we go. But we gotta detox. Sean Cross said it this way, the early church didn't ask, what am I getting out of this or am I being fed? But rather, what gifts and resources can I leverage for this family? And am I counting my brothers and sisters as more significant than myself? When you look at the early church, you see service, not consumption. You see a household, not a marketplace. And so, so in Acts chapter six, everything is taken off. The church is exploding; it's growing. In fact, in Acts chapter six, the church is about fifteen to twenty thousand people, in a population in Jerusalem of about forty thousand. So the church is having tremendous impact. It's on the move. It's growing. Kenneth Scott, he is a professor at Yale, or was a professor at Yale. He said, "Never in so short a time has any religious faith." Or for that matter, any other set of ideas, religious, political, or economics have achieved so commanding of a position in such an important culture without the aid of physical force or social cultural prestige. Other movements spread by conquest or by politics, but not Christianity. So why why was it spreading so rapidly? Well, it's it's a very easy answer, as the Holy Spirit was moving. The Holy Spirit was building the church. Christ was building his church. Ordinary people are responding to the gospel. Lives are being transformed. They're responding to the Great Commission, and the church is exploding. And so with explosion and growth comes pain. Like my daughter, my oldest daughter, I don't know why, but she's the only one of my kids that kind of experienced growing pains. I thought growing pains were a myth. But it's actually, I think it's real. So we would spend nights rubbing her leg when it was sore. She would wake up, be like, my leg hurts. I'm like, girl, stop milking it. <laughs> but we would rub her leg. So, so eventually, I, I told Jackie, I was like, babe, I'm, I'm, I'm getting older. My arms are they're a little sore. My shoulders, some of the growing pains. It didn't work. It didn't work there. <laughs> some of you guys took a minute. You're like, what is he saying? Oh, that's it. But, but, but there, there were growing pains every time there's growth, there's, there's, there's pain. And, and we have to recognize that when I was uh, working as, I was by vocation, I was a youth pastor, but I was also working for a company called Spectrum Brands. And this, I was a marketing sales manager, meaning I managed different accounts, different stores. And I, re, I remember on the year that I went to step into full-time ministry, I became number one salesman in the Pacific Northwest. Incredible. So pumped. About to get a huge bonus, but I went in full-time ministry before that, my friend got my bonus and never gave me a cut. I was bummed. Gave him like, and back in the day at that time, it was, I mean, it was like 15 grand, something crazy. But, but I, I remember this. I remember I felt so good. I felt like the man, number one in the Northwest. Let's go. And then they, they gave me my sales projections targets for the next year. And I was like, Oh no. Like, how am I supposed to hit these numbers? This is impossible. With growth comes pain. It, it, it just happens. It, it, you, get, you find more challenges, but you also make a greater impact. Yes. You, there, there's, there's more encouraging things, but there's also more critics. But in Acts chapter 6, there's a very specific challenge that they were facing. And it says this, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, they were growing, the Hellenistic Jews, are Hela means like Greek. So these were Greek Jews that grew up in the Greek culture. Among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So they have a cultural nuance happening here. And what's happening is there's this dangerous suspicion of division. There's like a dividing edge to this complaint. And there's nothing more effective that Satan loves to use But to bring distrust and dissension into the body of Christ. So, this was their their third major attack. The first one was persecution. God said, Nope, my church is going to grow. The second one in Acts chapter four, sin crept into leadership. They dealt with it. God said, Nope, we're going to continue to multiply. But this time, it was a challenge of consuming and complaining. Which in reality, a lot of times when we look at this passage, we fail to see that the people complaining uh, on behalf of their widows um, didn't offer to help. Yeah. Do you ever like notice that in the passage? We, we kind of overlook stuff like that, right? So, so really, they're both kind of consuming. One, the, the the Hebraic Jews were just receiving. They're like, yes, this is so good. We're getting our daily distribution. Our widows are taken care of. Awesome. And then The Hellenistic Jews were like, we're being neglected. And the people that were sending up were complaining. But we see in the original language, mainly the ESV paints a greater picture, like a more clear picture of this, is that it says that these accusations or this complaint arose, meaning nobody went to the disciples. They just started to gossip, right? They started to, they started to grumble. They started to complain. And so division started happening. Assumptions are flying everywhere. You guys have heard me say on many occasions, the devil lives in the realm of assumption. Not, nobody brought it to the apostles. And then let me say this. Our church, like, we don't have, like, there's not an issue. I'm not, like, trying to deal with an issue right now in our church. But what I will say is that whether it's in our church or your family, if you don't have all the facts, you should believe the best. And, and if you don't have all the facts, you should go to the actual person that can give you the facts. Matthew chapter 18, rather than letting a complaint arise. Because the enemy lives in the realm of assumption. And so if, you, if you're concerned about something, man, let him know. Let your family know. Let your boss know. Let, don't gossip. That's, the enemy loves that. So one is consuming. One is complaining. They're not offering to help. So in other words, they're still consuming. And this is what J.D. Greer said, that the, a spirit of grumbling and complaining kills more churches than persecution. So this is just a sidebar, not even part of my message, but I just had to hit this because it's so good. Because Satan knows that if he can get our eyes onto ourselves, both consuming and complaining. That it's going to be really hard to reach a lost and dying world when we're so self-consumed. Wow, so and so what, 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 what was the solution to this? And I believe the solution to consumerism in their day is the same solution to consumerism in our day, Now, we're not going to, like, eradicate consumerism in one message, but, but I want to look at the, what the early church did, and I think they can give us some wisdom. We're going to see three things. We're going to see they organized, prioritized, and mobilized their hearts and others to serve. Like, they, they got around the issue, and they said, man, we, we have to make sure that we're organizing, prioritizing, and mobilizing our hearts to serve. They learned very quickly in the early church that everybody is better than somebody. Let's talk about it. You guys ready? So organization... Organize. We have to organize our hearts to serve. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. Can you imagine more faith in your waiting? See, it's not what you thought. Imagine more faith in your waiting. First service responded way better than you guys did, but hopefully you understand that. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them. There are two extremes in churches when it comes to organization. Some would say that if the church becomes organized, it becomes unspiritual because we need to let the Holy Spirit lead. On the other side of that, people would say, no, the Spirit of God is He's a God of order. So if you're not organized, you're being irresponsible. So let's kind of tackle the first one real quick. If we're too structured, if we're too structured as a church. Or just even even your life, just think of your heart personally, that it can't be from God. But the problem with that is that's not biblically consistent. It underestimates the flesh. It's inconsistent with the character and nature of God. And it's not consistent with the New, teaching, New Testament teaching on how the church should operate. What am I saying? I'm saying it's not consistent. For example, Acts chapter 2 and 4. And we see the church is growing like crazy. The Spirit of God is on the move. People are coming to faith in record amounts of numbers. But guess what? When Peter preached, 3,000 people came to Christ that day. How do we know 3,000? Because somebody was counting. Somebody had a discernment to say, we, we need to... We need to understand who's coming to christ because we're counting because we also have to make disciples so if we're going to make disciples out of these new converts we got to know who they are right it says that they met in specific times and places right they met in the temple courts they met in in homes so it it was super clear money and goods were brought to the apostles feet to distribute to those who were in need and sin was dealt with in the church So right away, they're not perfect. They're still trying to figure stuff out, but it was clearly accountability, organization, and authority. And I think, again, when we look at creation, we look at creation, creation does something beautiful. It reflects the beauty, the majesty, and the highly organized nature of God. I mean, look at the woodpecker, for example. This is one of my favorite animals. You can't really see some of the detail. But this, the pressure and the force that this bird puts on its face into a tree. Literally, his beak should be penetrating his brain. But it doesn't. Because it's not how he's designed. You know, when, when that beak goes in, his tongue comes out. And insects can hide. They can get along the edges of the wood. And so what ends up happening is there's these little hooks on the edge of their tongue. And as soon as they go into the hole, it produces a sticky saliva right at the right moment. Hooks the bug and pulls them back in. And he has a nice meal. That is crazy. very specific, very organized. You look up at the stars. We have this thing called the solar system. Like the world weighs billions of tons, spins on a perfect axis, and nothing holds it up. We're just far away from the sun, so we don't freeze, and we're just far enough away so we don't burn. I mean, there's just so much complexity, yet there's harmony. There's so much organization, yet there's so much freedom. Like our bodies alone are very complex, very complex, but somehow they work within a system. Some of our systems are a little, you know, they're struggling a little bit, right? But they're so intricately designed and in harmony with one another. Are are you guys tracking with me? But let me give you the other side. The other side is there's some truth to that. We can become so structured that like a a Fortune 500 company is now kind of the the model of our church. Where we become so rigid that we're like, hey, Holy Spirit, you want to come in today? You got to fit into our deal, man. Like we got church down so well, we really don't need you. But if you want to come in, just make sure you're a part of the program. And so we start to reject new ideas, new opportunities, fresh things that the Spirit of God is saying. We start saying things like, this is how we've always done. If it's don't broke, why fix it? Like, let's just keep going, stick to what we know. We're afraid of risk. And we can't recognize the move of the Spirit in the season as the sons of Issachar were able to do to understand the times that they're living in. And so I think this side underestimates our our new life in Christ, and it underestimates the power of the Spirit. And so, so, so what am I saying? I'm saying that they're both wrong. In reality, they're both wrong, that we are not supposed to be a corporation and we're also not supposed to be a loose hippie commune. That's not who we're called to be. Pastor James said it earlier today. The church is a living organism connected to the living head, which is Christ Jesus, our Lord. We Listen, organized, but spirit-led. You guys still don't believe me. Let me show this. Mark chapter 10, verse 43 and 45. Not so with you, Jesus said to his disciples. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must become slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come, meaning he has a plan of why he came. Did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. I never saw this until this week. When you do your homework on this word serve, it's the word decaneo. Do you know what the definition is? To wait on tables. To wait on tables, particularly in a sense where a slave would wait on guests. Jesus said, my whole ministry was organized around that reality. Like what if our lives were marked and organized around the beautiful reality of waiting tables? Like, is our life marked by that structure and spirit, truth and power? What if every environment we stepped in, we said, Oh, why are you here? I'm here to serve. Why did you get married? To serve. And everybody said, Amen. Like imagine stepping into every relationship, what's my goal? Serve. Imagine stepping into every room, your job, no matter where you place foot, why are you here? I came to serve. Wow, that's so good. Like if you walked into some of those spaces, some people would fall on the ground. Wow. Like literally. Like what did you What happened to you? Who are you? They would just they'd be blown away. So let me ask you this. Is your life more marked by consuming and complaining or will people look at your life and be like, they're a servant? They are a servant. You guys still love me this morning? Yeah. Let's go. We are the church. But let me tell you this. Biblical organization. If you don't hear anything I said on an organization, hear this. Biblical organization will always organize around what the spirit is already doing. So we're not trying to get the Spirit on, on board with what we're doing. No, no, no. The Spirit of God was already moving. The church was growing. Lives were changing. S- structure was needed. And so what do they say? We're just going to build around what you're doing, Holy Spirit. We're called to be a part of what you're doing. So organization doesn't build outside of the Holy Spirit. Real church organization builds around what the Spirit of God is already doing in our midst. The second thing was they prioritized. Serving. They prioritize their serve. I think sometimes we we get we get mistaken that somehow we're the savior and not the servant. Because they realize very quickly that we can't do everything. Like there's just no way. Waiting on tables was not beneath them. They were servants. They followed a man who was the son of God who washed people's feet. But they knew that their greatest service was teaching the word of God accurately, prayerfully seeking God, and teaching others to do the same. So it wasn't beneath them, but they they were having some trouble. And Moses and Jethro had the same conversation. Moses with his father-in-law had the same conversation. His father-in-law said, Hey, Moses... You're struggling, dude. Like, you're not the Savior. You need to empower people that are full of the Holy Spirit to help care for these people. People are dying in line. You're dying by trying to talk to everybody. It's just not working. But we have to understand what God is calling us to do. This is why it's so important that you are in tune with what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. Because if not, how are you going to organize around that? And how are you going to prioritize? Because let me tell you this. God will cause you to sacrifice as a family, but he will never call you to sacrifice your family. On the altar of ministry, but let me be, let me be very clear. Unless it's persecution, somebody barges in here with automatic weapons, talking about renounce Christ. We're standing as a family. That's different. I'm talking about being irresponsible, thinking you're the savior and you're trying to do everything. God's not going to ask you to do everything. Why? Because that's why he made a body. That's why we're a part of the body. We're not the entire body. And so, but we really need to know and understand our part that we play. If we don't understand our part, it's going to be really hard to prioritize. Let me give you an example. My kids are getting older. And so what Jackie and I are recognizing that the season that we're in requires a different investment. If we're really going to serve our kids, we have to make adjustments. Or we've had to make adjustments over this last year because they're in a different place. So I really feel like this is a word from the Lord for somebody today. The disciples, the context here is they're like, our responsibility is to be devoted to the ministry of the word and to prayer as we're leading in the church. But can I also say that this principle applies to your home? The context of the scripture is the church, but can I say the principle applies to your home? That is every area of your life right now that is experiencing growth is going to experience challenge. Every area that you're contending for is not going to be without challenge. And so what I would say is whether it's your marriage, your career, whether you're single and you have a lot of opportunities, make sure that you are reprioritizing on a regular basis around prayer and the word. Because if if the enemy can distract you from that, which is so easy, man, he has a great foothold. The kings of Siam back in the day, Siam is now modern day Thailand. When they were annoyed with another ruler or they were threatened by another ruler, they would would take advantage of the superstition in the land. And they would send the other rulers an albino elephant. And they would send them an albino elephant because nobody would not receive that because it was sacred. You don't turn that down because something bad might happen to you. But they would send them an albino elephant because it required so much care so much resource, and so much time, they would neglect the priorities of their kingdom just to help maintain this beast. And so can I just propose to you today that they wouldn't kill the elephant because of superstition, but there, there may be some albino elephants that we need to slaughter that have been keeping us, and I'm PETA metaphorically, metaphorically, that we need to slaughter... That is keeping us from prayer and the word. Because if Satan can distract us from those two things, not only can he divide the church, but he can create a spiritual deficiency in your heart, in your homes, in your marriages, in our cities, in our churches, and in our world. So you have to know what your part is in order to prioritize. So it says, but in fact, God has placed parts in the body and every one of them just as he wanted them to be. Like God has designed you just as he saw fit, but you have to know your part. You are a particular part of the body, I'm a particular part of the body. Peter Wagner said in all of his interviews, he said there was a multiplicity of people, 80% of people that he interviewed, did not know in their latter years what their purpose ever was. Rick Warren is still making a living off of the purpose-driven life that he wrote like two decades ago. Why, because people are still wondering, I don't know. I don't know why I'm here, I know there's gotta be more. So I would always tell people, you want to know what your purpose is? Get connected to Jesus and a local church because you're created to be a part of a body. And if you don't know what part of the body you're created for, it's going to be really hard to organize and prioritize your life accordingly. So th- this is what I would say. Apple pie. Come on, a second service. We're almost done. You got, man, you guys clap more for apple pie than Jesus. Woo! Man, welcome to the fall Season. But but if I were to take this, this apple pie right here, and I just cut, nice little slice, and all of a sudden, it spilled all over me, spilled all over me. Some of you instantly would jump up and go get napkins and paper towels. I wouldn't even have to ask. Instantly, got up, his Jays, they have some pie. I'm getting the napkins. You may have the gift of helps. It's amazing you can learn. Wisdom cries aloud everywhere, right? Some of you would think, Pastor Matt, don't worry, I'll buy you another one. Matter of fact, I'll buy you five more. Matter of fact, everybody gets an apple pie today, right? You might have the gift of giving. Some of you instantly are going to be checked in your spirit, and you're looking at the disaster, and you're like, something has got to be done. You do this. You go here, grab this. You and you just start delegating tasks, you start building, organ. you became the foreman, you might have the gift of administration. And then others of you, you, you would say something like this, oh, Pastor Matt, it's all good, man, don't worry, We're, I've done it before. Matter of fact, you come up here, grass-mounted I'm gonna put some on with you. We're in this together. You may have the gift of encouragement. Now, now others of you... Um, You might look and say, man, Pastor Matt, I know those H&M jeans. Once you wash them, they're never the same. Can I just sit with you? Right? You might have the gift of compassion. And then some of you guys are going to sit here and be like, there's a much better way to cut that pie. Matter of fact, cut in the Greek, this is what it really means. You might have the gift of teaching. And then others of you will sit there with a smirk on your face, disgusted. I cannot believe you did that. How, what, what, what embarrassment you are. Like You got what you deserve. You're cutting an apple pie on the platform? Shouldn't even been up there in the first place. You might be a prophet. Because you cannot stand injustice or things to be in disarray. So so what am I saying? I'm saying you have to know your part. You have to know your part. And some of you guys may be sitting there and you're like, I know my part. Well, then my next question is, is it mobilized? Because it wasn't just about the disciples delegating. It was about these people on the other side saying, yes, yes. You see, what's so interesting is that God's church has never been a building. It's always been his people. Did you know it wasn't until 313 AD under Constantine that Christianity finally became legal so they can own property and gather in public? So up until that point when you would speak of the church, nobody would think this at all. They would think we are the body, we are the church. They just wouldn't have this in their mind. No, this is just the way that we live our life. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12 it says, So Christ gave himself, the, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors, and teachers to do what? To equip people for works of service. But here's the deal not just to the lost, but so that the body of Christ would be built up. Like we're called to serve one another, Amen. called to reach the world. And Jesus said, One of the ways the world is going to recognize you is because of your love for one another, the way you care for each other, the way you serve each other. John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus told his disciples, he's like, hey guys, it's better that I go. They're like, what? What do you mean? It's better that I go. And yeah, it's just like, it's better that I go so that the spirit of God can come. But think about that. Like Jesus, it's so much easier when you're here. Like you can turn our water into wine like that. I mean, imagine if, if, if the Lord was in here in the flesh on a Sunday, and I'd just be like, hey, Lord, we need some extra space. Can you just blow out this, this whole wall, set up everything just, just for Sunday, and we'll put it all back, put it all back on Monday morning. Jesus is like, Poof. expansion. And then we go back, and the doctor doesn't even know we're in his building. How cool would that be? But, but, but Jesus said, no, no, it's, it's better that I go. It's going to be so much better when the power of the Holy Spirit is working through ordinary believers, ordinary people, to do great things. That his, his presence, being right there in the flesh, he's like, no, no, it's going to be so much better. That's why we do church as a team. There's no superheroes. There's no superheroes. We're, we're just fighting for two qualities. Fighting for, for two qualities. We're just fighting for faith and full of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're contending for. We're just a bunch of ragtag trophies of God's grace. But the goal of our serve team is not so that we can use you to, to build. God has called us to build and equip you. We want you to be comfortable living your life with this heart of serving outside of here. And so, again, this is not a guilt trip. If you can't serve or you can't, there's no pressure here for that. Uh, Again, we saw in Peter, it's it's, it's a willingness to serve. Our serve team is crushing it. We have 160 plus people on our serve team. Hey, there's always room for more. There's always room for more. But it's not because we're in desperate need. It's because we want to continue to build you, to get you comfortable with living out your faith so that it spills over into your everyday life. But even if you can never join our team, know that this is supposed to be your heart and your part as the body, that every environment you step into, it should be organized, how, organized around how can I serve. And, and what did God do? God took these ordinary people and they didn't have a glorious deal. They waited on tables. But you know how strategic they were? Super strategic. Because all of these names that are listed, Philip, Stephen, Pecorius, you want a name for your next son? Nicanor, Timion, Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch—they're all Greek names. They're all Greek names. So, like, we're we're going to appoint some Greek leaders so they speak the language of the culture. They they're going to understand a little better. It's not about just us, Hebrew Jews. No, we are the body. There's room at the table for everybody. We want to empower you to to help, lead, and to serve and. And so they presented these to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. They laid their hands and prayed for them to wait on tables. Meaning there's no task that's unimportant and not spiritual. Like waiting on tables. They said, yeah, we got to make sure you're full of faith in the spirit. And we got to lay our hands on you. And we want to pray for you because this is a serious deal. Jesus washed feet. They waited tables. Nothing was beneath them. Was the serve team their end all? No. In fact, we see something very special with Stephen. He so now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Where did he do that? Waiting tables. Like, you mean as he's waiting on tables, God is using him like this? Absolutely. This is the next verse. Like wherever God has placed you to serve, wonders and signs you should be expecting. You say, well, what are those wonders and signs? I don't know. It doesn't tell us. It just says wonders and signs. I don't know, for that environment that you're stepping into tomorrow, I don't know what wonders and signs look like. But I know you should be expecting them because you're full of faith and full of the Spirit called to serve. And so so they're just being faithful to where God had called them to, but you wanna talk about their resume? Philip was a great evangelist. Acts chapter eight, caught up to the Ethiopian eunuch under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit preaches the gospel to him, baptizes him, and then dips, teleports, vanishes. Shows up later like, what's up, guys? Just had to make a little errand. Resume. Stephen was one of the greatest theologians, preached the longest sermon in the New Testament, full of truth, grace, wisdom, power, the Bible says that he was. Became the first martyr of the church. Gave his life for Jesus as he refuted religious leaders. They could have easily said, give me something more see my resume? They're like, no, no, no. It's not just about this. This is just a part of my assignment. Everywhere I go, I serve. Everywhere I go, this is who we're called to be. And the servants always get to experience the miracle. When Jesus turned water into wine, first people got to experience that miracle was the servants. Because they dipped that canister in the water. They pulled out. We're like, oh, Lord. Hey, right? First people. Just want to make sure you're awake. First, people to experience that. And this was the result. And I'm done. Not that the widows were happy. The word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. So they'd screw more. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. You know why the priests came obedient to the faith? Because their job was to take care of widows. And they're watching ordinary people do their job. Like, this is how it's supposed to be. They're watching how they care, serve, love one another. In the fourth century, Christianity flourished under Constantine Emperor Julian took over in 360 AD. He was a Christian turned pagan He's like we got to get we got to get rid of these Christians He's like, but we martyr them. They get stronger. We separate them from their families. They rejoice How do we do this because no matter what we do to them, they just prosper and they notice that they took care of the poor better than Rome did which was a huge part of their influence. They served, they, they were marked by service in the church and outside of the church. And everybody said, I want to be a part of that. They're caring for people. And so that's what he said. He said, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to model the church in our government. And that's what they did. And do you know what ended up happening? Little by little, the church began to lose their influence because they just start, started to say, well, I guess they're going to do it. I guess they're going to take care of the poor. I guess they're going to take care of... So it didn't eradicate the church, but the church dramatically lost influence. Not here. We're not going to be marked by losing influence because we're not caring for people. Not at our church. Are you guys hearing me? Like, we we are ones who serve. Will you stand to your feet? Let me just declare this over you. Ephesians chapter 8, verse 10. God saved you to do good works. Ephesians chapter 11 through 12, God God gave us leaders to prepare us for good works. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, that God has given us his word to equip us. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 24, God has given the church to us to encourage us. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10, the Holy Spirit gives us gifts and empowers us to serve. We were created to serve. But we can only serve to the degree that we have seen Christ has served us. Otherwise, you'll try to serve rather than saying, I'm happy to serve. In light of how you've served me, Jesus, in light of all you've done for me, I'm I'm happy to serve. I'm happy to serve, and that's where you find life. Everybody is greater than somebody. Let me pray for us. Father, seal this in our hearts. Seal this word in our hearts. We are people and ones that serve. Let our, our lives be marked by service. If you came and organized and prioritized your life and mobilized around service, let us do the same. Let us not be arrogant. Let not anything be beneath us, but let us prioritize. Let us know what you're calling us to do. Let us help us to understand what part of the body we are. And then mobilize. Help us to mobilize fearlessly, courageously, God, in every environment that we step into, in every relationship, in every context. We're here to serve. We're here to serve. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thank you again for tuning in to the Fountain Podcast, where our heart is to lead people to see Jesus clearly, love him deeply, and follow him wholeheartedly. You can also find more content by following us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and by downloading our app.